Hello, everyone, and welcome to Thinking is Cool, the show designed to make your next conversation better than your last. Even if you sit back, sigh, and say, damn, can't believe I never thought about this before during said conversation. My name is Kinsey Grant, and I am a journalist, garden variety overthinker, and the host of this show. Regular Thinking is Cool listeners might know that my singular ambition here on Thinking is Cool is to inspire conversations that might not otherwise happen, to encourage people to join me on my own journey of attempting to view the world more thoughtfully. As the name of this show might suggest, that ambition gives us a whole heck of a lot to think about. And today is no different. We're going to take the next 30 minutes or so to consider why we have never been able to solve homelessness. Big topic, big brain approach. Let's jump in after two things. Number one, thank you so much to this season's presenting sponsor, Fundrise, for making these episodes possible. I will tell you more about what Fundrise is cooking up in just a bit. And number two, thank you to all of you. I'm halfway through my regular season programming, which is crazy hard to believe, but it's bonkers to think how cool it is that I get to think about stuff for a living. And all of that is thanks to all of you listening and offering feedback and sharing this show. Thank you. Now, nothing is off limits. Everything is on the table. Take it anywhere. And remember, thinking is cool, and so are you. You know the saying about teaching a man to fish? I've never been much for fishing, but I am a huge fan of old adages, especially when they have to do with helping our fellow man. I can't stop thinking about the fishing one as I get ready to talk about today's topic. Let me back up for a second. Today, we are going to think about something that I'm sure someone at some point in your life has told you is impossible. We're going to consider what we can do to end homelessness. Because this is a problem that's persisted chronically essentially since the dawn of civilization, you'd think we would have a solution by now, right? The reason we don't is because it's really hard to unlearn centuries worth of misplaced blame and unfair judgment, backwards expectations, and systemic injustice. The reason no one has solved homelessness is because it's a problem so big, the solutions are also a bit unfathomable in size. I'm under no false impression that I, Kinsey Grant, a 26-year-old woman without a public policy degree, can suddenly solve homelessness. But I do know that I can start to change my behavior. I can recognize that the sharp sense of empathetic pain in my chest that I feel when I walk by someone who calls a stoop with a sleeping bag a home, that probably means this is something worth exploring further. I can use my insatiable curiosity to question the status quo. I can be more compassionate toward my neighbors experiencing homelessness. I can stop ignoring a problem just because it feels too big to solve. I can start thinking differently. And that brings me back to fishing, kind of. Give your average housed person a volunteer opportunity and they'll help for a day. Teach your average housed person how to completely rethink what it means to be homeless and they'll help for a lifetime. That's what my effort is today. I'm guessing most of you, like me, have volunteered to help the homeless at some point in your life. For me, it was tutoring children who were at risk of homelessness back in high school and more recently attending a community dinner with homeless neighbors here in New York City. But the truth of the matter is that those helping hands were offered a very long time ago. They perhaps constituted a couple days of the last 26 years of my life. But for people experiencing homelessness, it's rarely a days at a time thing. 
I've filled my days with memories and books and trendy outfits and fancy dinners and plenty of new apartments that distract me from the devastating reality of homelessness in my own city. My homeless neighbors have had no such respite from reality. And that's by design, our design. Homelessness is a solvable problem. If only the people in power were willing to really, actually solve it. And if they were, well, we would see loads of progress in other social issues like school absenteeism, food insecurity, drug and alcohol abuse and addiction, unemployment, the list goes on. Homelessness is often at the center of those epidemics. Solve for homelessness, solve for a whole host of other things. Allow homelessness to remain an unacknowledged problem we've all historically ignored because it makes us uncomfortable. Allow all those issues I just listed to flourish. Now is the time to recommit ourselves to helping our fellow humans, because after the 18 months we've all collectively had, this problem is only getting worse. With the eviction moratorium ending and the imperfect distribution of federal relief funds remaining imperfect, the need for rethinking homelessness in America is growing more urgent with every passing day. So, no time like the present to consider how we end homelessness. And in case it sounds too good to be true, I get it. There's some important context incoming. We might not ever be able to ensure that everybody who wants a home has one as soon as they want it, but we can do this as set forth by the Interagency Council on Homelessness. An end to homelessness means that every community will have a comprehensive response in place that ensures homelessness is prevented whenever possible, or if it cannot be prevented, it is rare, brief, and a one-time experience. Who wouldn't want that to be reality? Who wouldn't want to extend the possibility to meet our basic human needs to all humans? It's not partisan. It's not up for discussion. It's a truth universally acknowledged that ending homelessness is good. All it takes is all of us becoming a little more thoughtful toward our neighbors living in shelters or on the street, in their cars, in motels. We can affect change, and it starts by thinking. I mean, how hard is it for you and me to be a little more thoughtful toward our neighbors? Do you really want to be the kind of person who ignores the plights of others because that's easier than talking about them? I don't think anyone who cares enough to listen to a show about thinking hard is that kind of person. Homelessness is a human problem with human solutions. So let's use our human brains to get to work. Prior to making this episode, my experiences with homelessness, especially of the chronic variety, were fairly run-of-the-mill. I'd read the sad New Yorker pieces, yeah, I for years lived in New York where homelessness is a fixture of everyday life, yes. I've identified that sinking feeling of not knowing what to say when someone experiencing homelessness asks for your spare change on the subway. But there's so much I didn't know. And it started with how I defined homelessness and what it looks like in my own mind. I want you to do the same. Think for a moment about what homelessness looks like to you. Actually, in New York City, street homelessness, like the folks we see who are on the streets experiencing homelessness is actually only 5% of homelessness in New York City. Wow. Which means 95% are living in shelters, living in cars, right? Living in motels. And to take that statistic even further, of 
All those families who are experiencing homelessness in New York City, 70% are families. Out of 60,000 people who are homeless, 25,000 are children. But if you ask the typical guy, what does someone who's homeless look like? It looks like a guy with long, straggly hair, a shopping cart, maybe a cardboard sign. There really is a stereotype about homelessness that is so wildly inaccurate. That was Adina Lichtman. Adina is the founder of Knock Knock Give a Sock, which she started during her sophomore year of college as an effort to humanize the homeless and to bring housed and unhoused communities together. She's the kind of person we should all strive to be, kind, empathetic, intelligent, understanding, the kind of person who restores faith. She's quick to answer any call, both literal and metaphorical. And Adina is probably right about the way you consider homelessness. She was right for me. But when we stop stereotyping the homeless and start thinking about them as people and neighbors, our perspectives shift. And it's high time they do. In January 2020, there were 580,466 people experiencing homelessness in America. 580,466 people. 70% were individuals, but the rest were people living in families with children. The number of families alone should be startling to you. I cannot imagine the challenge of raising a child homeless. No child deserves that. No one can argue that they do. And yet, the number of families experiencing homelessness has increased significantly over the past several years. About 30% of America's homeless population were families last year. In 2013, that figure was closer to 15%. Another lesson I learned in making this episode... Homelessness does care what you look like and where you're from. It does discriminate. According to the National Alliance to End Homelessness, higher unemployment rates, lower incomes, less access to health care, and higher incarceration rates are some of the factors likely contributing to higher rates of homelessness among people of color. The higher rates of homelessness in question? Well, Native Hawaiians and other Pacific Islanders have the highest rate of homelessness of any group, 109 out of every 10,000 people. For groups such as Native Americans, it's 45 out of every 10,000. And for Black and African Americans, 52 out of every 10,000 experience homelessness. Now, these rates are much higher than the nation's overall rate of homelessness, which is just 18 out of every 10,000. Like discrimination based on race and background, the issue of homelessness is older than this country. Scholars believe that homelessness in America can be traced all the way back to colonial times. There's evidence of, quote, vagrants being targeted by police as early as 1640. Modern homelessness found its footing in the 1970s and really never let go. No surprise, seeing as we've rarely done much to mitigate the negative effects of some of homelessness's biggest causes. Addiction, domestic violence, mental illness, lack of affordable health care, lack of public assistance, and lack of quality employment. That's the thing. It's easy to characterize homelessness as a series of unfortunate events, personal tragedies, bad choices, and worse luck. Maybe in a one-off case or two, sure, but the 500,000-plus people who will go to bed without a home tonight are proof that this problem is more than just bad luck. It is systemic. So how did we get here? It's a question I could not stop asking myself after sifting through these disheartening statistics. I decided to turn to Google for more insight. How did this happen? The New York Times answered the call. Quote, 
The first law of real estate applies to homelessness too. Location, location, location. The nation's homeless population is concentrated in New York, the cities of coastal California, and a few other islands of prosperity. Well-educated, well-paid professionals have flocked to those places, driving up housing prices. And crucially, those cities and their suburbs have made it virtually impossible to build enough affordable housing to keep up, end quote. By many measures, including the government's, $600 is the most a family living at the poverty line can afford to pay in monthly rent while still having enough money for food, healthcare, and other needs. I challenge you to find a $600 a month apartment in your city. In mine, it is literally non-existent. And no wonder, from 1990 to 2017, the number of housing units available below $600 shrank by 4 million. Not only are we failing to build more affordable housing, we're actively taking it off the table. In one of the world's wealthiest countries, we are literally pricing hundreds of thousands of fellow Americans out of housing. We are pricing them out of a home, a shelter, a basic human need. The reason we have a society is to take care of each other, to help each other prosper. And there are half a million humans who we fail to take care of. That is so far, but there's always the opportunity of today. Do you think that homelessness is a problem that can be solved? Is this something that is solvable? A hundred percent. Here's how we do it, or at least how we start. Let's start by recognizing what has not worked. A problem this big, this historical, you'd think we could solve it by this point, right? And it's not to say that some incredibly bright minds have not tried, but to date, they have not succeeded in solving homelessness. We've set countrywide arbitrary goals to end homelessness for veterans by 2015, chronic homelessness by 2017, homelessness for families and children and youth by 2020. Not to spoil the movie, but that didn't happen. It appears that governments are more focused on treating symptoms than they are causes. This is from the New York Times in May 2020. Quote, annual spending on shelters has reached $12 billion a year, according to Dennis Coolhane, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania and an expert on homelessness. Rather than provide housing for the homeless, cities instead offer showers, daycare centers, and bag checks, end quote. Homelessness is not unsolvable. We've just been trying to solve it the wrong way. Consider this from Bloomberg City Lab. Quote, cities across the country favor clearing out homeless encampments, even though researchers have shown that it's expensive and wasteful, not to mention disruptive, for people who lose their belongings and communities only to be shuffled from one tent city to another, end quote. We build villages of tiny homes designed for impermanence. We erect congregate shelters to siphon all of our homeless neighbors into one place. We relegate homeless members of our society to a subhuman existence because we don't want the harsh reality, their harsh reality, in our line of sight. We do everything but the one thing that needs to be done. And I'll tell you what that is after a short break to hear from our friends at Fundrise. This season, we've spent a lot of time talking about opportunities and how best not to miss them. When it comes to creating opportunities for you, one of the biggest favors you can do yourself is to develop a personal investing strategy. 
That'll put you on the express train to planning for a solid future and also putting your money where both your heart and your goals are. But for all the opportunity investing brings, it can mean some risk. If you're staking your future on things like collectibles or leveraged ETFs or cryptocurrencies, well, get ready for some turbulence. Now, there are some assets out there that offer a little more safety. Take real estate, for example. Studies have shown that real estate has historically been less volatile than the stock market in terms of overall performance. Now, when you think high-tech app investing and uh, this boom in retail that uh, we've seen over the last year, you might not think real estate, but that's all in the past, thanks to Fundrise. Fundrise is the platform you need to start gathering all the opportunities associated with real estate investing. Fundrise has account levels ranging from $10 to $100,000 that give you the opportunity to invest the right amount at the right time and right price point for you. And even better, Fundrise manages everything in-house so that middlemen aren't eating up your returns. Head over to fundrise.com think, that's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash think to get started building out your real estate portfolio today. If we want to end homelessness, all we have to do is give people homes. Put down your pitchforks and allow me to explain. Adina? Lack of affordable housing is the leading cause of homelessness. A lot of people think mental health. Lack of affordable housing is the number one cause of homelessness. So let's just give people houses, right? It's a real approach, and it's called housing first. Logic goes as follows. You get someone into a stable, long-term housing situation without asking them to hold a job or get sober first. Once they're settled into their new home, they get access to medical and addiction treatment, job training, social workers, the whole shebang. It kind of makes a lot of sense, especially if you've ever been in a period that felt like a holding pattern. Wink, wink, nod, nod, all of us this last year. It's really hard for someone who's homeless to hold a steady job while also meeting with social workers and applying for housing and shuffling from shelter to shelter. A home provides stability. A home provides the first step to true independence. So the answer to how to solve homelessness is housing. Um, There are shelters. Shelters are not the answer. Shelters are band-aids for the housing crisis. Yes, there could be a roof over your head, but it does not allow you to get out of the cycle of poverty and to get out of the cycle of homelessness. Housing started this homelessness crisis and housing can end it too. So how come widespread affordable housing doesn't exist across this country? Let's run through some of the reasons. Reason number one, it costs a lot. Yes, this is right. It does cost a lot to build structures and to give people homes, especially in cities where property is already super pricey and developers are hungry to make money on their investments as soon as possible. Now, there are federal low-income housing tax credits, aka government tax incentives to construct or rehabilitate affordable rental housing for low-income households. And they help certain developers build 100% affordable housing. But there aren't enough of those credits to go around, leaving both developers and potential tenants to compete for them. Reason number two, you. NIMBY, not in my backyard. Think wind turbines and sewage treatment centers and sports stadiums. They sound good in theory, but we don't want them in our backyards. Affordable housing is perhaps the biggest of the NIMBY issues. We are comfortable talking about what a tragedy it is that homeless populations are forced to live incomplete lives, splitting from temporary bed to temporary bed, but 
we're not comfortable sharing a neighborhood with them. We want better affordable housing, just not in my neighborhood. For these reasons, among others, a housing first approach is not easy, but it is possible. And I'll tell you why. Let's talk first about the monumental expense of giving people houses. It's a hefty bill to foot, yes, but Adina told me this. It's actually more cost effective because when you're not giving someone a home, the city ends up paying tons of money every year for folks living in shelters, for nights in the emergency room because they don't have a place to go very often, for paying for police coming around, getting people to move from here to there. We spend so much more government dollars, so many more government dollars on homelessness than if we actually invested in housing. In 2016, according to The Atlantic, nationally, the average monthly cost of serving a family in an emergency shelter is $4,819. Providing them with a voucher for housing, on the other hand, is just $1,162. And believe it or not, we're actually getting more and more used to spending what needs to be spent to get people into homes. Through the CARES Act of 2020 and the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021, Congress invested billions of new dollars in programs that should impact the number of people and families in permanent housing. They appropriated about $4 billion for the Emergency Solutions Grant Program, about $5 billion for emergency housing vouchers, and about $5 billion for the HOME program, which is rental assistance, affordable housing development, all that good stuff. The ball is rolling, and that gives me some hope. We just have to keep it rolling. We need just a little more willingness to spend for good. And because, you know, food for thought, in 2020, U.S. military expenditure reached an estimated $778 billion, representing an increase of over 4% from the year earlier. And according to the New York Times, the nation's homeless population could be housed for just $10 billion a year, which is less than the price of one aircraft carrier. Didn't we just end a very long and very costly war? Think about what just a fraction of a fraction of that military budget could do for the homeless neighbors in your city. We know that Housing First works. Through Housing First, Utah reduced its chronically homeless population 72% between 2005 and 2014. And in New York, supportive housing has been a big success, reducing the use of shelters, hospitals, psychiatric centers, and jails for an average net public savings of $10,100 per unit per year. I will admit that it's not all sunshine and rainbows. I was encouraged reading about housing first and smart spending, but it's not as simple as just giving people houses. In some ways, housing first is a huge headache. For example, zoning. There's ample evidence that inclusionary zoning policies can create more affordable housing. And by inclusionary zoning, I mean rules requiring developers to build a certain number of affordable units in any new construction project. The problem is that those lower cost units have to be paid for somehow, and costs are often passed on to other tenants, which in turn hikes market rate rent. Inclusionary zoning was made mandatory in some New York City neighborhoods last year, and developers are already banging the complaint line to say it's too hard to build affordable housing in a city like this one. It makes me wonder if real estate prices are so far gone in New York City and other cities like it that we may never be able to rejigger the supply-demand curve in a way that's more hospitable to low-income groups. 
There is a potential workaround though. I found this from the New York Times. Quote, the next step is simple but expensive. The federal government already provides housing vouchers to help some lower income families. The families pay 30% of their monthly income toward rent, the government pays the rest. But instead of giving vouchers to every needy family, the government imposes an arbitrary cap on total spending. Three in four eligible families don't get vouchers. The program costs about $19 billion a year. Vouchers for all eligible households would cost an additional $41 billion a year, according to the Congressional Budget Office in a 2015 estimate. Where to get the money? Well, the government annually provides more than $70 billion in tax breaks to homeowners, including a deduction for mortgage interest payments and a free pass on some capital gains from home sales. Let's end homelessness instead of subsidizing mansions. End quote. We don't need anything else. We just need to rework what we have. And that might mean the wealthy going without a few of the perks of being wealthy. But it's not just the government's and not just the wealthy's responsibility to end homelessness. We're going to talk about why that is after a short break to hear from the very fine people at Pluto. Let's be honest. Some self-care products do at times feel like pseudoscience. I mean, take blue light glasses, for example. Does anybody know if they actually work or do I just feel smarter and cooler with frames on? I honestly don't know the answer, but what I do know is this. After trying and buying a few too many lotions and potions and soothing paraphernalia over the years, I've learned that it's always best to do some research before you start spending. One of my most successful research-based self-care investments to date has been my Pluto pillow. This pillow was something I didn't even know I needed until I got it in the mail. It has dramatically improved the quality of my sleep and helped me to feel more rested every single morning. That's because Pluto pillows are custom crafted and designed to meet your exact needs. To customize your Pluto pillow, you fill out this in-depth questionnaire with details on things like your sleep patterns and your body type, and then using that data along with a proprietary algorithm, Pluto creates the perfect pillow for you and ships it straight to your door where you have a hundred nights to try it out risk-free from the comfort of your own bed. If you don't like it, send it back for a full refund using a prepaid label, but I'm gonna bet that you like it because Pluto's pillows also feature this cool modular design with an outer plush cover enclosing a solid foam core, a solid foam core that has kept me snoozing peacefully for months now. Visit PlutoPillow.com slash thinking. That's P-L-U-T-O-P-I-L-L-O-W dot com slash thinking today to fill out a quick questionnaire and get $10 off your first Pluto pillow. And if you're anything like me, it will not be your last. And one more thing. If you purchase a pillow this season, you'll be entered to win a nighttime kit handcrafted by the great minds over here at Thinking is Cool. Picture Josh's go-to sleepy time tea, Allie's favorite silk eye mask for snoozing, CBD gummies, and tons of other goodies that pair perfectly with your pillow. We will be announcing the winners in mid-October, so stay tuned. Before that break, I used one of my favorite words, responsibility. It's a nuanced, complicated idea that looks different from every angle, but from the homelessness angle, responsibility looks a lot like cooperation. Cooperation between local, state, and federal entities. Cooperation between tenants and developers and people experiencing homelessness. Cooperation between neighbors. 
And above all else, cooperation for the sake of our humanity and our kindness. We have to move outside of our own lived experiences to recognize that living on the street or in a shelter or in a car is no way to live. Here's some more of my conversation with Adina. There's also this kind of maybe bigger question that goes beyond just the personal, which is how do we encourage our elected officials to better understand what you're talking about in terms of upfront costs instead of slapping a Band-Aid on a problem every time it rears its head? What can we be doing to um, communicate that to the people who are making decisions about affordable housing? That's a great question. I always say, you know, for a lot of social issues, right, we see BLM protests, right? We have seen the pride parade year after year make such big changes for folks who identify as LGBTQ. But when it comes to homelessness, right, we don't have those protests to go to. We don't have... There's not as much of a movement, unfortunately, when it comes to homelessness, right? Or even when it comes to poverty. So it is important to pay attention to local politics and your elected officials. But uh, actually, Kinsey, this is fun. I'm bringing this back to one of your podcasts. I actually listened to one of your podcasts the other day. And you were speaking about the idea of talking about issues when it comes to climate change, right? And kind of this idea that talking about issues and making people aware of it is one of those things that just leads to change. Like, could you and I provide housing for someone? Probably not. And maybe we could pool all of our money together and, you know, be able to find some places for some folks to live. But the truth is, in order to fix the problem and not put another Band-Aid on this problem is very similar to, to what you mentioned and that idea of talking about change, making people think about it. You might not hold the purse strings for that $10 billion a year that it takes to house our homeless population, but you do have the ability to get loud, to stop ignoring the problem, to start practicing empathy. I want you to think about your life. Think about the struggles you have faced, the hard days you've weathered, the heartbreak, the loss, the anxiety. Now think about what it might be like to live through all of that without a place to call your own. Some of you might know the feeling. As we talked about at the start, homelessness is a widespread problem that does not always look the way we expect it to. But if you have not experienced homelessness, think about this human issue in a human context. Think about how this is truly an issue that exists at the intersection of so many other systemic problems, racism, classism, ableism, wealth inequality. Think about the way we have historically cast the homeless aside. Even the biggest social justice warriors are guilty of ignoring homelessness. It's a lot easier to walk on by, head down, and AirPods in when a neighbor living on the street asks for spare change or a cup of coffee. It's a lot easier to tweet about ending systemic injustice than it is to look that injustice straight in the eyes. But what a shame it would be to waste this moment of cultural and social activation by failing to recognize that our neighbors on the street are just that, neighbors. To recognize that they need our help and in many ways we're in a position to offer it and do more than just repost an infographic to our Instagram story. Having a conversation doesn't cost $10 billion a year. Having a conversation is free. I wanted to do more than just tell you what we as people with homes can do, what we can talk about, how we can help. I wanted to do it myself. So I have committed to changing my perspective. 
I've changed my perception. I've decided to stop ignoring a problem, hoping it might go away. I'm reaching out to my neighbors, asking to know them, asking how I can support them, asking what they think. Because what they think matters more than anything, I can tell you, speaking into my expensive microphone in my overpriced apartment in downtown Manhattan, they are the ones living this life. They are the ones with stories worth telling. In the process of implementing these changes in my own life recently, I've tried to start making some new friends in my neighborhood. One such person I met, and hopefully someone who will soon be a friend, is called JR. He lives in downtown Manhattan, homeless and on the street. He asked only to be identified as JR, and while he was happy to share his story with me, he asked that I relay it myself to you. So, here's a voice memo that I recorded after a conversation with my neighbor, JR. Apologies in advance for the downtown Manhattan rush hour soundscape here, but I'm walking home and I just had a conversation with a new friend named JR. That's how he chose to be identified. Uh, JR is a man who is living on the streets right now. He's experiencing homelessness and he has been for about five years. He has spent the last five years homeless and the last two years living on the street. And the reason he chose to live on the street is because JR has a wife, a family, uh, and he said that the shelter system will not permit he and his wife to live together. They're not allowed to cohabitate together, and apparently the shelter system does not respect, uh, in his words, the institution of marriage. So he and his wife are living on the street downtown, um, and they have been for quite some time. In JR's words, the biggest complaint that he has with the homeless experience in New York City is the fact that the shelter system is not designed to help people in his position. He said that he has often been the victim of some unfair allegations based on what he looks like, what he sounds like, where he's from, um, and there is no due process in the shelter system. It's essentially your word against somebody else's. He's been the victim of theft, and above all else, he just can't be with his wife, and that's why he's on the streets. Um, When I asked him what people should do to help people in his position, what would be the most advantageous for him, he said, to fix the shelter system. And I think that given the research I've spent most of today doing, the way that we fix the shelter system is by making it obsolete. We design more permanent housing for people experiencing homelessness. We take the housing first approach and we allow people to flourish within a home. Um, Because I can just imagine what it must be like to be in JR's position on the street having to ask people for help and to hope for human kindness to get you by, it's just unfathomable. It's its hard to believe that people have to exist in that kind of a position, um, but they do all the time and JR is proof of that. And there's so much that we can be doing to help them that we're just not doing right now. And we know how to fix this. JR knows how to fix this. It's time we do. Thinking is, as they say, cool. Even cooler, allowing that thinking, that thoughtfulness to change your behavior. Homelessness is a solvable problem. As former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development Ben Carson said in 2019 to Congress, quote, homelessness is not an intractable problem. We can end homelessness, end quote. In fact, we've shown quite an aptitude for solving homelessness on the small scale when we put our minds to use and get cooperative. In an effort spearheaded originally by the Obama administration, enormous progress has been made in ending homelessness among veterans. 
In early 2020, the government reported that after a decade of working to eradicate homelessness among veterans, it had something to show for itself. The number of homeless vets shrank by 50%, from about 75,000 in 2010 to only 37,000 at the end of 2019. Three states and several dozen cities had provided housing for their entire veteran populations. Part of why it worked is because it worked together. The campaign was designed with the support of some 800 city mayors and county executives, and it took place across multiple White House administrations. We have renewed hope for cooperation to end homelessness. It sprang forth last week, in fact. The Biden administration announced its House America plan, asking leaders of city, county, state, and tribal governments across the U.S. to make a public pledge to reduce homelessness. The federal government will in turn offer guidance for meeting two goals. Number one, provide permanent housing for people experiencing homelessness. And number two, build new affordable units for those teetering on the edge of homelessness. House America aims to rehouse at least 100,000 people and add at least 20,000 affordable housing units. And before you say, well, where does old Joe think he's going to get the money? I present you with this from City Lab. Quote, much of the resources for House America will come from the $350 billion in federal relief under the American Rescue Plan for state, local, territorial, and tribal governments. End quote. So, a problem like homelessness might make you feel pretty hopeless, but the truth is that there is hope, hope that we can effectively end homelessness in this lifetime. It starts with thinking differently about our neighbors of all kinds. Next time you're walking down the street, consider what it must be like to call that street your home. Really stop and think about it. Think about the hottest and coldest months of the year. Think about the feeling of having no option but to beg strangers for help. Think about how you've agonized over the horrors of renting an apartment that has an electric stove instead of a gas range, and now think about not having a kitchen to prepare your dinner in at all. Strike up a conversation and use Adina's advice to get you started. A lot of people kind of want to go over to their neighbors on the street and are kind of like, I don't know how, what do I say, what do I do? Um, anyone who feels timid about it, my first advice would be find someone with a cardboard sign that's telling their story. Uh, because so often it's more than just them telling their story, it's seeking human connection. Those are the people who are looking for contact. I always say, you know, be careful approaching anyone who's sleeping or may seem like they're intoxicated or who may be talking to themselves and not fully present. But for the most part, all of our neighbors are looking to be approached, looking for human contact, human kindness, and connect, introduce yourself, ask them what their name is, you don't need to give a dollar to ask them what their name is and wish them a good day. And you'll continue to see them, hopefully, if they live in your neighborhood and building that relationship and eventually to a place where you can find out what their story is. Go outside your own experience to consider that of your neighbors who might not have a home. Ignoring the problem clearly has not worked. It's time to face it head on. It's just convincing enough people with enough power to put enough pressure on the right people to make change and to focus and say, you know, by 2023, we're going to eliminate homelessness in America. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to. So let's get to work. Talk to your neighbors on the street, but also talk to your friends and family who have lives similar to your own. Ask the group chat, what do you think homelessness looks like? Has your perception of homelessness changed as you've gotten older? Do you think we can solve homelessness in this lifetime? 
Why do you think people are so squeamish about homelessness? What makes this the kind of problem we feel ill-equipped or unwilling to talk about? How and what do you feel when you walk past somebody experiencing homelessness? When was the last time you spoke to someone experiencing homelessness? Let me know what they say. As always, I'll be waiting to think it through with you. Thank you for listening. I'm Kinsey Grant. And remember, thinking is cool, and so are you. I'll see you next time.